All right. It's been too long, as always, but we're back. Uh, it's time for another podcast. Time for another episode. We're into 10th edition. We've got a ton to talk about. Um, Russell's here with me. He's just fresh off of an amazing sixth place at LSO in Texas. Uh, I'm back from Tacoma just a couple weeks ago uh, where I went four and two. Not exactly a uh, as impressive a showing as what Russell put pulled off of Black Legion, but uh, I think at this point, man, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, just kind of like our impressions, like how the game's playing out. Um, you know, obviously Thousand Suns are, it, it's, it's interesting because we went into, uh, or at least the last time we talked, I think, uh, it was kind of a, well, they seem really strong. And if you listen to kind of what some of the initial impressions were, were, they were kind of along the lines of, well, Thousand Suns are probably too strong and they need to be toned down. And then after a few games started getting played, it was, you know, it started to sink in. Well, okay, maybe they're not so bad. Um, it, it was kind of interesting. Like, Russell, what's your what's your take so far on what you've seen from Thousand Suns? So one thing I, I see from Thousand Suns is they have the tools to beat a lot of armies. And I think that's why you're looking at a, a win rate that's so high. But I don't think they have the tools to run the full gauntlet. And that's why you're not seeing them at the top tables. Yeah. So they still have an incredibly high win percentage. But, you know, let the elephant in the room but match up with custodes. And there's there's almost – there's a very narrow window to get to the top table without going through custodes. And yeah. the thing about it is, is, you know, you need – reliable shooting to take down custodes because you're not going to beat them in combat yep and if you're putting out mortal wounds if that's your main thing you know i mean and, and realistically take doom bolt for example i know a lot of people are scared of doom bolt but two you know a couple doom bolts you know and then you you have the wounds on it because it's 40 percent chance i mean all mm -hmm. of a sudden now you're trying to you're trying to shoot custodes that are in cover with neg one inferno weapons and they've got two up saves and it's just and then once they touch you, it's, it's, you know, it's really at that, yeah, yeah, at that point, you know, you, you hope Magnus can survive a fight first. And then, um, that he, that, that he at least hurts the squad he engages cause he's not going to kill him, no. you know? So it's just a really bad matchup. And the thing is, is then you start looking at things of how do you counter something like custodes, um, with, with the, the tools that thousand sons have, and you start looking into the roster of what, what's available to him. Let's take a forge fiend, for example. You know, the, the reason why the Forge Fiend is so amazing in Chaos Space Marines is because there's a command point that supports it, and it, it's absolutely amazing. Well, you don't get that with Thousand Suns. You you know, 3D3 shots, and you better hope you hit good. You know, and it's still – and the yeah. weapon's not strong enough to wound Custodes on a 2, so there's – you know, you start, like, looking down the roster, you, you almost – you know, it's it, it's the same thought I had at LSO, right? I, I felt like I had a pretty strong list to play into most of the meta armies. But I was thinking, man, I better not get Gene Steeler Coulter. That's going to yeah. be a struggle. I was like, I can take Eldar. I can take Knights. I can take Custodes. But, man, I need to stay away from Gene Steeler Colt because they're going to win that War of Attrition. Well, I feel like everybody was in that boat with Gene Steeler Colt. Just and, the the ability with their blips and everything was just so yeah. good. And bringing units back that I, I don't think anybody had an answer to that. Um, yeah. And, I mean, when you look at LSO and how many of them were up there in the top, I mean, they, they just – it, it just kind of shows they're very, very, very strong right now. Um, and it doesn't surprise me with today. They just made a correction where, what is it? You got to be wholly within three of the the blip or something when you bring the yeah. unit back. So, and it's a 32 millimeter marker. So it's not like it's a 40 millimeter marker. And then you right. go three inches. It's a smaller right. marker. I mean, I, I'm glad to see it. And you know that that was probably their intent all along. I mean, 
to be inside. Actually, I, I fully expected to see some type of FAQ to put them wholly within six inches of that, you know, which would yeah. be in line with a lot of other rules that we've seen in the current and previous editions. So to see him hit, get hit with a three, you know, not that I'm an advocate for Gene Sealer Colt, <laughs> but right. I felt like that was a little, a little too far. But, I, you know, again, that the, yeah. there's ways around that, um, you know, for the, the really good Gene Stiller Colt players out there, you know, that that's not going to bother them too much. It just makes it a little bit more, you know, thought intensive. It's, you know, so, but I yeah. think it's not going to knock Gene Stiller Colt too far down. I think it'll take away some of the feel bads, which, so, I mean, yeah. in the end, you, you know, I think Gene Stiller Colt will still have a high top table percentage. And see, that's the thing. Gene Stiller Colt is the exact opposite of Thousand Suns, right? You look at the Gene Stiller Colt win rate, it's low. It's below 50%, I believe. However, you look at the top table representation, Gene Stiller Colts all over it. And that just shows that there's like a, uh, a skill a skill gap there, you know, with Gene yeah. Stiller Colt. You know, you're either going to go, you know, play in the, the mid tables, but the ones that are good at it, like, I mean, Eric Tatt, for example, I mean, he's, he's the best Gene Stiller Colt player in the world, you know, I think two years in a row. Look at it, you know, after they, the adjusted uh, placings at LSO, he's number two. Yep. So it's pretty amazing. Yep. And, and really at the end of the day, that's just, I mean, you basically have, you have a much higher floor with thousand suns. You ha you have a little bit more durable units. Uh, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're not custodes when it comes to, you know, durability, but we're, we're probably more durable than I think most people would think if they play into us for the first time. Uh, and then, you know, shooting the, the army right now, in my opinion is almost, completely tilted towards shooting. We have a couple token units like the Demon Prince, Magnus, the Mauler Fiend. Um, hilariously, the Defiler is like our second best melee unit in the in the Codex. Um, and our Scarab Occults will do okay in, in, in combat. But all of those things I'm mentioning, they do okay. They have nothing to really support them. Like you look at our stratagems, nothing really... Uh, like everything that's there is for the shooting phase. So you go into a matchup with Custodes where they they... The, the biggest problem that I have is that we don't have a way mobility wise to get behind their flanks in a way where we can actually shoot them. And there's a really big difference between the LSO terrain and the GW terrain that I played on and the GW terrain where you had a lot of little pieces that all the footprints of them were all obscuring. It really gets tough because the custodies player can basically just march across the table and have to have you come get in range of getting heroically intervened or um, uh, basically in charge range the very following turn. Hell, they can even overwatch you for that matter. Basically, they draw you into the range where you don't want to be so close to them. And you've only got basically one turn to really dump your shots into them. And then that's it. After that, you don't you don't have much that you can do. The only thing I can think of that actually works into that when they're hiding behind the buildings is basically using Magnus, making his psychic stuff indirect and rerolling hits and wounds. But in addition to that, you have to have a unit somewhere that can spot that unit that's sitting behind those buildings or behind the obscuring terrain. And, you know, when you're playing into like a mass foot uh, custodies list, it gets really, really tough. And I, I mean, I'll be completely honest. Like right now, I just don't, I don't have an answer to that. Um, other than, you know, there, there has to be some help somewhere. Um, like the the four up feel no pains that they have when I do get a chance to shoot at them, uh, the, the four up feel no pains to the mortals are just, uh, they're, they're oppressive. I mean, you just, you cut down 
anything that I can get through. I mean, your T7 on most of your stuff or T6 and seven. So I'm wounding on fives or sixes, no matter what. And so then I have to go psychic to get the reroll to hits and wounds. And at that point now your, your damage is now becoming what you, you very, very hard to break through. So I know math wise, the easiest way to get shots through is to use the cast or the um, sustained hits one. Um, and basically then just basically do your reroll hits and wounds. Um, you've got lethal and just hit them with as many staves as they could possibly try to make with, with your Terminator shooting. Um, but outside of that, I, I just don't, I don't have answers, man. I don't know how to get like line of sight to shoot them. I don't want to charge them. Like nobody wants to go get in combat with them. Um, I just don't, I don't see a counter that we have where it's like, ah, okay, this unit was meant for this. This is what we take. It fixes this. Um, I mean, the only thing I can possibly think of hilariously is um, the regular demon prince on foot where you can shoot their, um, uh, you can you give your a unit precision and you can sh- hilariously just shoot their characters. Yeah. I mean, and, and then there's also the stratagem or, or the uh, the cabal points to ignore the uh, saving throws and put them at a four pin bone. But again, like, like you said, you yeah, yeah. Fives. And see, that's also where you end up in a situation with uh, uh, Thousand Sons. You you go, where am I at? Do I want to take five man units or do I want to take 10 man units? You know, and that that's the thing like I played against Thousand Sons in round four on stream. Uh, and he had 10 man units and one of the most optimized lists. I mean, he, he still ended up doing really well, you know, um, overall. But the thing was, is those 10 man units, when you get when you put a unit like Obliterators or a Forge Fiend into them, it just melted them. And it was, yeah, it, it, as a Thousand Sons fan, being on the other side of the table from Thousand Sons, just uh, completely decimating 10 man squads of Thousand Sons and then killing their characters. And watching those cabal points tick down, tick down, tick down, yep. you know, you know, and, and it, it was also kind of, I felt bad because, you know, obviously Thousand Sons is my second favorite army and I've studied a lot. I almost brought Thousand Sons to LSO um, before I ultimately decided to stick with my Black Legion. And, you know, that that's actually what it came down to is it was like, I'd rather I'd rather go lose to Gene Stiller Colt and and be able to beat Custodes instead of going to lose against Gene Stiller Colt and get beat by Custodes. So, right. Right. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair point. I mean, you've got the tools in your toolbox to handle custodies. So, mm-hmm. you know, why not? Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is everybody made a big deal about towering and the knights. Um, I know at LSO they had, I think, I think there was terrain that did block line of sight. Is that correct? Yeah. So what they did is anything that they had marked with ruins, um, uh, if you were shooting over walls, which is basically the whole ruin baseline, um, it it was infinitely tall, basically. So it was a, it was like a it was like a it was very much like the eighth edition or I mean ninth edition obscuring. Um, the only difference would be is that towering um, worked both ways on that. So in other words, you couldn't shoot the knight. It wasn't a it wasn't a one way firing range like it was right. at night. And right. I, I think that was a pretty fair fair um, fair way to do things there. And and it also benefits towering still benefits from that even though there you know a lot of that train has like an obscuring rule to it is because you know how the the line of sight works if a if a model touches a corner of the base they can't shoot right. but if you have towering you can touch the corner of the base now you can see through it and because towering now you and they did explicitly write that in their player packet that you know right. once you right. were on the terrain feature the normal tenth edition rules applied so yeah. it actually worked out good and you still ended up with two night players I think in the top ten. Yeah. So. so the interesting thing is is the the the, the difference at LSO and terrain versus uh, Tacoma, where Tacoma, 
everything, every towering work the way out of the box. I mean, it's a GW event, so they're gonna they're gonna run everything basically out of the box the way the, the way it's normally supposed to be working. I thought it was a very good move by them to at least with their terrain say, hey, look, the windows on all of our ruins, the bottom windows were all closed. So I thought that was a very, very good thing because then at least your infantry had a place to go hide uh, and potentially play the game a little bit against knights and other towering armies. Um, but despite all that, they didn't seem to, I mean, like knights didn't seem to be oppressive. Um, I, I happened to draw like later on uh, in the event, I happened to draw the list with the um, uh, the Warhound Titan. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't too concerned about the match because it was really just, look, I'm going to deep strike Magnus and the Terminators. I'm going to do some Doom Bolts to it. And then they're going to Magnus and the Terminators are going to come in and finish it up. And then after that, that's game. Uh, but looking at the way the towering worked and what it could shoot at, really, it didn't. So the list I had had the 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 five man Rubik Marines with the 18 inch den denial of being able to be targeted. Uh, so you couldn't even shoot them out of 18. So he had to move up. So at least for the first turn or two, he he couldn't even shoot my uh, my Rubik squads that were out there. Um and so eventually it was just, well, okay, Aramon's going to move up. He's going to Doom Bolt. He's probably going to die, uh, but I'm going to get a Doom Bolt off with him. And then my my guy with Lord of Forbidden Lore in the background next to the Mutalith is going to stick out. You can't target him. So the Mutalith is going to stay stay as hidden as it can. Uh, and then the Revert or the Warhound Titan essentially, you know, blasts the Mutalith off the table. Um and then the uh and but the doom bolts do enough damage that it chips away. I think he was down past health or past half health after uh, two rounds of doom bolts. And on that second turn, Magnus and the Terminators come in, they charge and they clean it up. But looking at the towering rules, I didn't at any point feel like, hey, I don't have play into this. There isn't something I can't do. So at least from Thousand Suns' perspective, I didn't feel like there was any issue with it. Um, yeah, I don't know whether that reflects the same for other armies. To be to be completely, you know objective about it i think there's probably armies that don't have that like space marines i i don't think have a like you can't unless you take a bunch of lone operatives you don't have the ability to just say hey i can't be targeted outside of 18 yeah well i mean i think one thing with the the, the towering hype i think it got more hype than anything you know i'm going to use an old example there was a uh jump chaplain for dark angels uh when that when their supplement came out and everybody was like oh it's that's that's completely broken and and it's terrible but at the end of the day, you never saw that jump chaplain actually hit the table. I don't think towering was ever the problem with Imperial Knights. If it if towering was the issue, then Chaos Knights would be wrecking. You know, Lord of Skulls would be wrecking. You know, it it it's the uh, it's the abilities that go along with it. That's why Wraith Knights are so good. The reason why Wraith Knights are so good was because of the devastating wounds and fate dice. Same thing with Imperial Knights. I mean, you know, you got those rules that you, you know that they're getting rerolls to hit. Even if it's just one hit and one wound, I mean, you start talking about five warglaves. Well, that's that's up to ten yeah. rerolls across, you know, ten melta shots. You know, like yep, um, it adds up. It, it it really does. And then once they kill your warlord, that's when the Imperial Knight Army really powers up because not only do you got to get past their saves, which most of the time is a four up in bone and shooting, then you got a five up fill in the pain. So. I, that's yeah, and I can I can say I, I, in my games against uh, Imperial Knights, don't sacrifice Magnus. Like, don't go hand with Magnus, especially if they've got three big knights. Because what happens is they get that five up field of pain, and all of a sudden your efficiency with your mortal wounds, your doom bolts, all of that drops. Like, you got to get your doom bolts off early. 
Uh, you got to drop those big nights as much as you can early. Uh, and then when Magnus and the Terminators come in, you basically got to be in a situation where um, they have a, you know, less than 50, 50 chance to kill, to kill Magnus um, and definitely don't let them charge Magnus. I mean, that's all, that's all I can share from a, from, from the experiences I've had, because that's all mistakes I've made. And I can, I can say going into big nights where they have a five up field of pain is God awful. Well, and ultimately, because when I, when I, just building towards Imperial Knights and my Black Legion list. That's the, I I'm, would have much rather to have like three five man units of uh, Terminators. But the reason why I stick stuck with a 10 and a five was for the Imperial Knight matchup because I, I always figured as long as I had the 30 ablated wounds before it gets to Abaddon, I could survive the night matchup. But the minute I put Abaddon and five Terminators out there, they focus them down and then I'm in, then I'm in, then I'm in, then you're in trouble. Yeah, because yeah, not only have I lost Abaddon, but now they've got a five of film of pain. Well, the obliterators so, seem amazing, though, because you have that indirect ability, the, the once per game indirect ability with them. And I, I thought it was like, like hats off to you when you face the Wraith Knight and you just basically were like, well, OK, turn one. I'm just going to try and chip wounds off you as much as I can. And you just use the indirect ability to 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 target them and whatever you could get, you got. Uh, unfortunately, I think I thought you rolled pretty damn bad on your shots and your hits and wounds and everything. It was pretty painful to watch. Therein but, lies the thing. Therein lies yeah. the issue. I think if you have a, a good belt list, even like think about this list and I rolled terrible and I made mistakes and I still almost won that game. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I feel like there's some routes out there for armies unless you're Votan. <laughs> You know what I mean? To to beat yeah. some of these top meta armies. Yeah, Votan. Uh, I mean, hell, even world leaders seem to like, at least uh, there are a couple, I thought of a couple world leaders armies at each of the events that had a pretty good showing. And and I don't think people have been very happy with their rules. Um, yeah. You know, their, their army rule kind of took a big hit. Yeah, there's a couple of them like uh, Death Guard. Uh, you know, yeah. I, there's a lot of people down on Death Guard, but man, yeah. looking at Death Guard... I, I, I think they're they have potential to be one of the top armies. I know there's probably Death Guard players listening to me and want to shoot me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I definitely think there's some there's some really good builds and a lot and it, it, at the very least it's a fun army to play. And I think I think a good player that is positive about their Death Guard could probably go and run a four two, you know, relatively easy. I mean, I'm not saying you're gonna go win one. I mean, there was a guy that went. Went went undefeated with Death Guard a couple weeks ago before the Olar nerfs. Yeah, so, which is pretty impressive. So the, it, there was an interesting thing. So at at, at Tacoma, uh, they did another Meta Watch video, and Stu. One of the things that Stu mentioned that was that was kind of struck me when I watched it was, you know, he's mentioning that in in eighth and ninth edition, um, the game was really about how lethal your army was like, even though, yeah, okay. I had to go hold objectives. It was really about how much your army can I kill because that ultimately determines whether I can continue to hold the objectives or not. Um, and, and I actually, I kind of, I kind of thought he's pretty right about that. Um, but then I think he's leaning into 10th edition a little bit and saying, well, okay, that's changed a bit. Do you feel like that's the case? Um, I do feel like that's the case in a, in a, in a lot of things. I mean, look at, I but it's still there because ultimately that's why why are Eldar winning because they're super lethal. Why was I able to get to the top tables and compete with Eldar? Because my Black Legion list is super lethal. It's yeah. it's lethal enough to shoot custodes off the board, you know. And it and that the, the same thing is trying to win the the game of attrition with Gene Stealer Colt is every time one of my units would shoot could potentially kill a twenty man 
um, unit of like neophytes. I mean, two obliterators shooting on the mid tier. So I do still think there's a lot of lethality uh, stuff that in this edition that is going to keep your army afloat. Um, because ultimately, look at look at Thousand Sun's biggest weakness right now. It's custodes, and and why is that? Because we we lack the lethality to survive against them. Yeah, you don't have a way to kill them. Ultimately, yeah. A, yeah. yeah so so the top performing armies, um, and I all all have one thing in common, and that's the ability to to shoot the shit out of somebody. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's ultimately that's where Thousand Sun's, even though they have some of those units, let's take let's take the Fortune and the Land Raiders for example. Why is the Fort Fiend and Land Raider so effective in CSM? It's because dark packs, exploding fives and sixes, and then you throw an Abaddon somewhere nearby, it's exploding fives and sixes with full rerolls. That's pretty lethal, you know. Where we don't have that, you know. Yeah, there's not a, there's no support for any of the stuff. Like that's that's been my biggest issue and gripe with Thousand Suns over the over the last three editions. Essentially, is we get no support for our demon engines. Literally no support. There's nothing to give it rerolls. Nothing to boost it or anything. You had one obscure cult in the last edition that would let you do like reroll ones to wound, um, you know, with cult of knowledge or whatever. And even that it, it's just, it's like token stuff here and there. That's not enough to really build around. And I can't say, okay, well, when the meta does this, I shift to this um, where I feel like that's more of the health of the codex is not being, not being in a state like we're in right now where it's like, okay, look, 1,200 points of my army, no matter what list I build, is pretty much determined. I've got 400 points of Magnus, 400 points in Terminators, a Terminator Lord to go with it, and a Mutalith Vortex Beast. And then you could probably even add some more where I've got I've got to have a, a unit of rubrics with Lord of Forbidden Lore on there. Outside of that, like, that's really, you're down to like, you know, six to 800 points to work with to really vary your list and change it. Because they're really, what are you going to do? You're not going to take Magnus? Like, he's he's so good like when you look at the stats of of what the other players did or what they took for for Tacoma and everything I mean it, it, it's ridiculous like I think it was something like 99% of the lists had Magnus in it uh, like that's it's just absurd how good he is which is fantastic yeah. that part I'm not complaining about at all um, I feel like he's really good for his points but he's not there's nobody out there going you know like um okay, Magnus is so good. We need to just like, he needs to go up a hundred points or anything. Like nobody's, nobody's out there looking at that as that's the problem. He's just, he's where he should be with the army. The problem is support wise for the rest of the army. There's nothing to support the, the Mauler fiend, the forge fiend, the, you know, the land raider and those kind of things. Like if I take a land raider, what do I put in the land raider? Right. Am I put, I mean, there, the, it, that doesn't really feel like there's any point to really take the land raider other than I have something that wants to be able to get in there so I can move it forward, get out and charge it. Like that's, yeah. that's the point of taking the land raider now. And we just don't have those units. Yeah. And, and I think that's why ultimately at the end of the day, you almost have to look at Zinch demons to to try to supplement some of what yep. you got. I mean, whether it's a, it's a changeling that has loan operative in addition to the, the sorcerers that have loan operative um, or, or taking a, uh, uh, Lord of Change, because um, the Lord of Change shooting is pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, the Fate Weaver is pretty good. I mean, so there there are options, but they're, you know, obviously it's a, it's a lot easier to ally things now in a list. You know, there's some interesting things on the Zinch side of the house um, that you could add to your list that, that will help you. Uh, yeah. With not only just uh, Custodes, but it also help you, you know, into the Gene Steeler Colt matchup. And I think the, uh, the future uh, Barb Gaunt matchups that you know 
I, I think that that's another list that's that's kind of laying out there in the, in the weight, just like Death Guard. Once people figure it out, is that I mean, just the current state of Tyranids, even though there's a book coming soon, there's some real, real, real big tricks with Tyranids. And I think that that uh, having having that massive amount of shots to be able to, to kill Gene Steeler Colt Tyranids, um, and also try yeah. to win it, try to win a, a war of attrition with Custodes, because I mean, realistically, Custodes, yeah. I, their main thing is is getting in the, and hitting you with fifty attacks and not, not dying. You know. Yeah, so, I mean, or getting hitting you, you in close combat. Down. Yeah, like hitting you in close combat, and once they get, like, basically, you don't want to get into combat with them at all. Like, you want to avoid, like, especially if you're Thousand Sons, you want to avoid combat, close combat with them at all costs. They they will absolutely just trash any unit we have. Uh, Magnus, Terminators, it doesn't matter. They're just going to walk right through it. Well, and the, and the biggest weakness of Custodes, Custodes is speed, and but the, unfortunately, that's one of our biggest weaknesses is the speed. Yep. Is well outside of outside of you know a little bit of movement with Magnus and our demon prince or, or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. You just that now granted you can, you can look at, I think one of the most important things is looking at every, you know, cause if the trend stays on where they're going to go off of that uh, tournament companion and you can look at the missions ahead of time and say, all right, I don't have to play this mission. Therefore I don't need these units. Or if I play custodes in this mission, what units am I going to need? Like, um, mm-hmm. You got to be able to, like, on the sites of power one. You either have some units that can go out and hang out on the sites of power and live through it, you know, um, or or you're iced in that game. So having those precision attacks, like you were talking about, aren't terrible in that mission because then then primaries go to three points, you know, it, unless yeah. you have a character on it. So there, yeah, there I are... think, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely feel like right now it, it's it's almost like you just kind of say, look, I, I, I have to throw custodies out and just say, look, I have to try and dodge them at the tournament. Mm-hmm. And and that's really all it comes down to, in, in my opinion. Um, if you, if you pair with it, it's just bad luck, I guess. Um, and, and I don't know what else you do other than just score as many points as you can and play, play, play out as much as you can. But I, I think it's ultimately, you'll get to the end and you'll look back at it and you'll go, no, that's, that's about the best I could do. Um, and nothing to, nothing to be upset about. I think it's just, that's the matchup right now into that. And I think a lot of armies have that, that, that one specific matchup that they're scared of, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But going Um, into it, I was like, I'm not, I'm not too worried about Eldar. I'm not too worried about, you know, but I was like mortified to to play against Gene Stiller Colt. And I mean that that the the truth bared out, you know, when it came to Eldar. Yeah. I mean, it's like people are like, "Oh, you're not scared of Eldar," and and I mean, obviously Eldar is really strong, and it, I felt like I held my own with one of the best best players in the world. Let's be let's be real, Ben Jerks, an amazing. Player. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah. yeah, you guys look like you had a great game too when you guys oh, were. Yeah. Uh, you know, if anybody's if everybody wants, uh, War Games Live has their has their game available. It was the finals match for. Um, Lone Star Open, which if you go to YouTube, uh, I'm sure you can find War Games Live on there. And then you just uh, find the day two for Lone Star. Uh, and then you can just fast forward towards the end. You'll see Russell playing against Ben Jurek. Um, and Ben Ben actually was at Tacoma as well. Um, and I think he was, I, I'm pretty sure he was close to the finals. And I think, I want to say he he played um, the Custodes guy at the end. Uh, if yeah, I'm I, think not he, I, think, I think Ben got third at Tacoma. Yeah. Say. Yeah, he, did, yeah, no, he I... did very good at Tacoma. 
Well, and and I have to say, like, you know, um, since I left the event, you know, me and Ben have added each other on Facebook and had a few messages, but like, you know, I, that was an amazing game. He's, yeah. you know, so I have no, there's no shame in losing to somebody like that, you know, at all, regardless of what they're playing. Oh, know? absolutely. Well, I mean, so. you can tell in the stream, you guys are having a great game. So I, I thought that was the the really cool thing about it is uh, even from right from the beginning, it just seemed like, I mean, that could be like a beer and pretzels game on a Saturday or something like that. And I thought that was, uh, you know, applies no, I, to to both of you guys for just you know having fun and enjoying the fact that you're trying to try and i guess diffuse the, the the tension of like hey we're playing for like the the win of the tournament here yeah and that was a big tournament 214 people yeah, oh, yeah. no I, and i and i could tell like so on the outset i was like oh man i'm playing ben jerk you know i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> i could beat eldor but i'm not sure i can beat him and then i messed up my train placement yeah and then i i was like man i'm i'm really in a hole here and then after my turn three when i when I when I killed the Wraith Knight in the Young Crane, I uh I looked at his face and I saw it and I was like, I'm in this, you know. Yeah. And, you, and if you go back and look at the stream, you know, like round four, round five, you can tell the tension and nervousness for both of us was there. I mean, it was a very yeah. tense game, but that but that still didn't take away from the fact that there was a it was a really good sportsmanship game where we we still even at that moment helped each other through. And then when we finally got to one part where we we couldn't make a decision on do I charge the hole? Do I chart the base or whatever? Yeah. We both were like, Hey, well, let's grab a TO and let's, let's figure this out real quick before we go any further, before we yeah. move any models. And it, it turned out really well. I feel. Yeah. Well, you both knew it was the game. I mean, you know, at that point it was kind of like, look, if I make this charge, this is uh, I'm really slanting the game in my favor here. And I, I remember rewatching this just the other, like the other night and texting you and, and basically saying, look, I'm looking at turn three or the end of turn three or something like that. And I'm looking at what you just accomplished at the bottom of turn three or the end by the end of turn three, essentially. And I'm like, dude, you have this game. I'm looking at the board. I'm looking at what you've, what you've just killed. Like the Wraith Knight's dead, the Incarn's dead. Like both of them dropped one turn and all of a sudden you're going, holy shit, this game is really winnable at this point. You, you've, you, you're in the driver's seat. And then that charge comes in against the, the, um, the fire prisms there at the back in the backfield. And, uh, I mean, hats off to Ben. I mean, when you look at the board, I, I mean, I'm looking at that board. I'm going, I don't know how Ben wins this. And then that just turns around that way. It's it's really impressive, uh, you know, just to kind of watch the the ebbs and flows of the games at that level. So, well, he he definitely needed the right cards in round five, and he drew them. And yeah. like I said, me missing that charge cost me uh, secondaries in round five, and then or I mean in round four, which ultimately, uh, you know. That's where that's where he got. We tied on primaries, and he he beat me by seven points on secondaries. And you think just the eight points for taking his objective right there, boom, and then getting a couple more cards, you know? Yeah. And, and then we, after the game, we went ahead and looked at the next cards. He was like, "Oh man, if you if you yep. yep. I would have been in the nineties, and he would have probably been around eighty something. So, but I mean, like, that's a great it, game though. No, it was a, it was an amazing game. I mean, I definitely. And that's what, like, even after it was over, you know, you feel like the tension release and and the, and the nervousness go away and realize that, like, no matter what, walking away from that table, definitely even losing the game, I still felt like I, I accomplished something and I, and I, and I, I felt a win, you know, and then, and then a lot of, a lot of my friends like yourself and everybody else were sending messages of congratulations, even though I lost the game, which that yeah, just shows. I mean you went five and one dude at, at that big of an event and you're playing Ben Jurek in the, in the end for the finals. I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Like that's like, that's even before you even see the result of the game, that's a total win. I mean, yeah. like that is just, that is awesome to, yeah. to, to get that kind of result. I, um, I feel very proud. I, 
I, I would say, I, you know, on your comment about drawing the right cards, it's so funny with so many people playing tactical objectives that how how many games that actually works out. I think I think it's funny because I I feel like it'll probably be like one game every like if you go to a six round event, it'll probably be one game out of those six rounds where either you or your opponent are just going to draw super convenient uh you know based on the board state you're you're going to draw super convenient uh tactical objectives and it's almost like you can start to i don't want to say it's like um counting cards but you start to understand what the secondaries are that you can draw that are in the deck and after you realize okay i haven't drawn it i haven't drawn it you can start to get a feeling of okay at some point this is coming up there's a good chance i'm going to get like capture enemy outpost right so maybe what I need to do is is figure out a way or a plan to get my Terminators into the backfield back there and be ready to, to go take that. Um, or keep my crystal in reserve, right? My dark matter crystal in reserve so I can I can teleport them back there, that kind of thing. Well, that's um, something that me me and Ben even talked about during our game. I like, I'm sitting there at the end of turn three going, what do I do with these Nurglings at the end of my movement phase, you know? Yeah. And uh, I looked at him and, and we both go, well, behind enemy lines is still out there. So I was yeah. like, so I just threw those nerglings on the other side of the building, and I was like, hopefully at some point I get behind enemy lines, and that that's ultimately the last card that I got was behind enemy lines, and that nergling was back there hanging yeah. out. So when Abaddon and his boys got back there, I, I got behind enemy lines and capturing the enemy outpost. But so you're absolutely right. You, it's it's in a, in a it's a form of counting cards and knowing what's out there and 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 knowing the cards, you know. Yep, and, and I mean it, it can go it can go the other way against you. Now my second round at Tacoma, I played. Uh, I played, a, played a, another guy from Texas, uh, Peter, uh, who was playing his Black Templars, and we had an amazing game. I mean, it was just so neck and neck through the whole thing. We got to the last round, and essentially what it what had happened was um, he had uh, we uh, points wise, I was up just enough, and what happened was uh, I had think I had the, I want to say I had the top of the last round. I was I was at the top of the round. And he had the previous, like a turn three or something like that. He had teleported his inceptors and a unit of aggressors uh, somehow into my backfield where my objective was. And we that fifth round, uh, I think we were we were just playing out that fifth round as like the end of it, or the fourth round, or something like that, from a time perspective. And it was so funny because the game the game felt like okay, I had everything set up, and then. I get to my my turn and I battle shock and then I battle shock again and I battle shock again. And it didn't matter if I forgot the stratagem or not, because at that point, the like the secondaries I drew and the fact that I battle shock my Terminators and two Rubric Marine squads, especially the one that was in my back home objective, it was it was such a kick to the gut uh, that the following turn he draws capture enemy outpost. And I think it was like one other thing. And it was a huge swing right at the end to just go from, Hey, the game's in control to Holy shit. That just, that ended very, ended very poorly for me. Um, it just shows that the objectives, like you, you have to play right to the end. And even then, I mean, you're kind of at the whim of what the objectives you draw and what the objectives are that your opponent draws. And and you know what, maybe, and we can circle this back to what we talked about. That is, that's the other point where custodes lack is the ability to score those secondaries efficiently. So that's where we got to beat them. Yeah. 
So well, it gets interesting. I, I will say, um, you know, talking Thousand Suns list. I think it, what was interesting was there there were the the best list I think at Tacoma was not a typical like like Magnus, a bunch of Terminators, and a bunch of Rubik Marines. It was Magnus, Kairos. Uh, I think he had a flamer bomb in there and then he had a bunch of like demons and other stuff. So he did have some rubric Marines, but it was mostly like they were there to give like cabal points and hold objectives and stuff like that. And then he had some demons in there. Um, I think that was Josh Ward who had the best result at Tacoma for thousand suns. So um, that was, it was really interesting. And then in LSO um, I feel like this may be, kind of reflects the terrain a little bit. Uh, I'm not trying to take anything away from the player at all. Cause to, I think to do five and one, I think that's what uh, Justin did. Justin Moore yeah, uh, to do five, to do five and one is, I mean, that's you, you're doing really good, dude, whatever you're doing. That's awesome. Um, but looking at the, the LSO train, I do think it did open up shooting a little bit better. So I'm not surprised to see like a Magnus and Terminators list be kind of like the top list at that point. And stats wise, just talking about like what people took um, by far uh, the li- like the list with Magnus and a bunch of Terminators uh, compared. So there were um, there were like 25 lists, I think, between LSO and Tacoma that were taking. 16 of them were built around Magnus and 10 Terminators. So that puts into perspective how much everybody was just focused on, hey, this is the solution. This is what we're going for. There were plenty of outliers. Like there were even some where it was um, Magnus and, you know, three Mutalists. And then there was Magnus and Kairos and Magnus and 20 Terminators, Magnus and 15 Terminators, you know, all sorts of variations of that. But, you know, if you're just talking about like the, 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 what I talked about is like your starting point where it's Magnus, 10 Terminators, a Mutalith, and, a, you know, your your uh, rubric squad with the Lord of Forbidden Lore. Um, you know, that just kind of is like your, 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 your staple there. Everybody kind of was zoned in as that being the thing. I think at LSO, the terrain really kind of opened that up where you could shoot. Um, you had a lot more firing links, I think, especially, uh, I, I believe it was player place terrain. Is that correct? Yeah, it's player place terrain, yeah. uh, specifically the chaos table. Uh, has a lot more firing lanes than the like the Gothic table or the Sisters table, which I played out of out of my six games. I played uh, five of them on the Chaos table, which I just so happen to have at home. Imagine that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I actually got some pretty good practice now. And then the the one time I played on the Sisters table, I played against a uh, indirect uh, uh, guard army, and it actually ended up playing in my favor because I was able to piecemeal them. Because I have a lot of two of saves in Mari, so but, yeah. So the vor- yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, like the the vortex. I, I played the triple vortex beast in round four on stream on War Games Live, and the the vortex beast did did last a lot longer than you know I expected them to with my shooting. They actually withstood my shooting more than just about anything else that I got into this weekend. So I think that five up feel no pain really helps keep them alive. So, but I, I'm not saying that that's that's the way to go. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I'd I'd feel like committing to the three mutalists, but um, I do think it's a it's pretty funny to just go all in on a very point efficient unit. Yeah, and then, like I said, they were very tough to kill with that five up fill pain. So, so what gets interesting at this point is you know for you and me we've got um, we've got the Texas Open as the next event. Mm-hmm. And 
now we've had a chance. Just today, they dropped a an update, and it seems like the update they dropped today is kind of the um, just to steal a phrase from one of the other Thousand Sons uh, Discord members. It's the this is the way things should have been updated. Um, so Thousand Sons don't really get all that many updates to it. Um, there there were a few things that that, that look they make sense. Uh, the Defilers Laz Cannon. Uh, gets its strength fix, so it gets moved to twelve. Um, the land raider, uh, you know, it's it's heavy bolter uh, or it's twin inferno heavy bolter gets the correct um, thirty six inch range with a damage of two. Um, the main thing I think that everybody else is looking at is the firing deck two on the rhino. I think that's awesome. Hilariously, I think um, the the Funniest thing I've seen is uh, I got to give credit to our guy out of Louisiana who who, who was pointing out that I could toss uh, two um, Infernal Masters into a Rhino and use them for the firing deck. And it's just absolutely hilarious uh, yeah. where you've got like what, like 4D3 uh, torrent attacks coming out of this thing. I think at like 18 or something like that for the range on it. It's just it, it's hilarious to pull something like that off. And, and you know it's not as detrimental as it used to be. You know that's a, it's that's not a terrible idea, um, because it's it's a. You remember when you a transport died before, you roll a one, you're dead. Yeah. I, this is another one of those. Uh, don't assume everything's the same. Tenth edition rules. The uh, when you when you come out of a transport now, you're automatically battle shocked. But if you roll a one, you only take a mortal wound. Right. So your your character doesn't automatically die. So I mean it's not terrible. I mean your battle shock, but the battle shock I think is the big thing though. I, I've seen that come into play in games. Uh I mean playing with one of our teammates who plays Dark Eldar. That was actually a huge thing, shooting his uh shooting his transport with a bunch of his uh warriors that were in there and they get battle shocked when the once the raider dead uh, dies or the venom dies or something like that. And that makes a huge difference for them. They do get a chance to recover that on their turn, but at least for your turn, they can't hop out and just steal that objective away from you. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. So I agree. I think that's a, uh, I think it's a great rule, but I mean, other than that, look, we're not getting any, any major updates there. I, I chaos space Marines. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel on that front, but I, I didn't see anything that was like, Oh man, this is a, this is a huge change. It sounds like your terminators, um, Got a little bit of an update there. Um, yeah, there was one thing on the chart, like like uh, the guy said, uh, yeah, this is the way it should have been. Like there was a weird thing on the chosen data sheet where if you wanted to, you know, you could take up. To, I think it was a few combi combi weapons in the the data sheet. Funny enough, it didn't replace the bolt gun; it, re it replaced the bolt pistol, so you could still have a bolt gun, a curse weapon, and <laughs> a combi weapon. So, <laughs> so they That's changed awesome. that to. They changed that today to where you're changing out the bolt gun, not the combi whip or the uh, bolt pistol, which That's is awesome. when you read the data sheet, you always knew that was supposed to be the thing. Yeah, something something was wrong there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and they also gave you the firing deck on your rhinos. But again, yeah. is there anything you're really are you changing your builds all of a sudden as a result of that? I, I don't know. I, I feel like probably not. Probably not. Yeah. You got you got the awesome Land Raider. So why why trade that out? Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy the Land Raider app. I don't know if I'll keep the Land Raider for Texas Open. I don't know. I I definitely know. There's a lot of there's a lot of tricks 
you know, with, with chaos face rings and the marks and there's, you know, like, and that's the thing you were talking about when you take a look at thousand suns, what do you say? 11, 1200 points of, you know, yeah, it's decided for you. Like 1200 points is just, it, it's already figured out. Like that's your strongest, that's your strongest collection of units you have. So it's, it's determined for you. Well, and if you look at chaos face rings though, I mean, there's been, there hasn't been any like big wins, uh, in 10th edition, but there's been a lot of decent placings. And if you look at the archetypes of those lists, they're, they're completely different. I mean, like, um, that's why I think a lot of people saw my list this weekend and go, what, what is going on there? You know, that this list doesn't make sense because most of the other chaos based Marine lists are running a couple units of dark communes or, you know, they're like, let's, let's take Lone Star. For example, there was four, five and one chaos based Marine players there. Two of them had, I think 20, uh, or I mean, two big units of, uh, a cursed cultist with dark communes, and then the other guy was running three Lord of Skulls, Jason Ryder. Yeah, think, yeah. Um, he's a really nice guy. He's he's on the U.S. Army esports team. Um, but yeah, he 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 did really well running, like I said, uh, three Lord of Skulls, which is actually pretty good because they're T thirteen. Yeah, it's Same. hilariously hard to play into. I mean, yeah. that's 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 a nightmare. Although yeah. with the, with Thousand Suns, I think you're trying to just do as many mortal wounds to the thing, and I think that's not too bad. But still, you kill one, you got two more to t- to take care of. So that's not that's not exactly a uh, a friendly looking matchup there. Well, I, I got a couple practice games and um, prior, and the, the re I actually started off with the Lord of Skulls in my list. That was like the first thing that went in because I was you know and. Ninth edition, it was 575 points. You know, so yeah, I, I mean, like, you used to run it like when you won Warzone, that's what you had in, in the Warzone list, right? Because you had yeah, the uh, what was Skulls it, the uh, Demon Forge, Demon Forge on the Lord of Skulls, you just re rolling hits and wounds. It was amazing. Yeah, no, it was it, it was pretty good. But after ninth came out, 575 points, I didn't touch the thing, you know. So I, but the very, I think one of my first games was against uh, Dane Mercer and then uh, Ryan Bridges and like the Taluses. Like if you got vehicles against Talos's man, that is just a yep. It's bad that, news. It's bad news, and I, I just watched that Lord of Skulls melt away against those Taloses, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go back to my infantry, <laughs> melt that. I'm gonna hide and then kill. Yep. yep. So. Yeah. No, I think the accursed cultist build is definitely something. Um, it it looks really good. Uh, yeah. At least at least from what you can do with it, uh, especially the stuff healing, stuff coming back, right? Um, yeah, especially if you have a talented player that can um, oh yeah that can oh, make yeah. sure that they allocate their wounds correctly and you know i mean yeah it's an it i mean it, it's along the same lines as as lich guard you know that you have a unit that has ablated wounds in it um that have an end bone and a fill no pain and then on the back end the uh the the bigger curse cultists man they hit they hit pretty good especially you start adding dark packs to them all of a sudden it's like whoa this unit is pretty awesome yep yep you know, it's it's interesting because I feel like what's going to happen is it's going to be really interesting to see the direction that like these codexes do uh, when they start coming out. Well, I hope they don't follow the same archetype as like Ninth Edition. I hope they they stick to the the keep it simple and and try to avoid the power creep. What I don't want to well, see is. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to be able to resist. So what what I think we're going to see. I was thinking about this the other day, Russell. I think what's probably going to happen is we're going to start to see stuff like, all right, Overwatch. Overwatch has become a huge thing in the game. 
why it's become so huge in the game is the fact that you can shoot in your opponent's movement phase and you just get to shoot stuff and line it up when they're moving. So they, before they even shoot, you get to chip stuff away. Uh, you can also do it in the shooting phase. With Thousand Suns, it, it's you know it's up in the deb- air and debatable right now uh, whether you can do it twice in one one phase or the other. Uh, but you have you have people. The fact that you're trying to do t- do it twice in one phase or the other shows how strong Overwatch has become. So much so that people have to play around it, and. I think when you have mechanics like that in the game, we've seen this in previous editions. I think they start to do things like, hey, this unit of, um, I don't know, inceptors or assault marines, jump marines or whatever, can come in and cannot be the target of Overwatch. You know, something like that. They're going to start doing stuff like that where they're going to bring units in and they can't be the target of Overwatch. And, And at that point... I feel like that's where we're going to start to see the game start to break a bit because uh, you're going to have lists that can be built where they don't have to worry about things like that. Um, they can play, you know, they'll have enough bodies that they can play the primaries and the secondaries. They have the mobility to go, you know, do whatever they want. Um, and then on top of all that, they'll all be really lethal. They'll be lethal enough where they can throw enough stuff in that they don't have to table your unit, but they can, they can throw enough stuff in where they can kill off enough of your stuff that it doesn't matter. Like if you're still alive, it just doesn't matter. Well, I do. I I am encouraged though on the continued balance so far. And I hope that continues throughout the edition because what I don't want to see is another period where we go, all right, we got 10 months of dark LR oppression only to be replaced by, you know, a year and a half of uh, Tyranid. You know, just when you thought the Tyranid thing was done, their codex was even better than Crusher Stampede. Well, it seems really good right now. Am I wrong? I mean, like right now it feels really good. Uh, despite the fact that we have a few lists that have some things that need to be tweaked, we all knew that's what that's what it was going to be. There were going to be a few outliers. They, they will get some things corrected. And the, the problem I see is that before we really get to see whether the fixes that they put in place to adjust those uh, are really good or not, we're going to see two new codexes come out essentially. Cause we're going to, I think we have one in August and then one in September. Is that right? I think it's space Marines and Tyranids. Yeah. Space Marines and Tyranids. Some, something like that. I, I don't know if, if it's that month that they've announced the actual release dates yet or not, but uh, we know that those are the next two codexes. And we know, I, at least from my perspective, I think, I think what to be prepared for is to start seeing stuff where units just ignore certain rules in the game. Um mm-hmm. And that's, I, I feel like that's where it opens up for things to start to break um, and where we'll start to see things like, oh my God, this unit gets to, you know, come in and shoot or come in and do, you know, ignore Overwatch and plus one to charge and all this, all this other stuff um, that, you know, we'll start to see things start to, to creep a little bit, I think. So, well, but look, we there's will. nothing we can do about it. The game, in my opinion, 10th edition is fantastic. Having having played enough of the games now, I feel like it's just an absolutely phenomenal edition versus eighth and ninth edition. Uh, they've done a lot to try and improve it. I I see what they're doing. I really like it. I really like the fact that you can tell they've thought about, you know, how the like look at the secondaries for example. There's so many people that are just taking the tactical secondaries, and if you look at why they do it, 
most people are like, look, it's a lot more fun to just take technical tactical secondaries because I don't really have to think about the rest of the game. I don't have to get really like, oh, I'm I'm taking assassinate or you know something else as my fixed fixed objective, and that's my only thing I do for the rest of the game. It's like the tacticals have so much scoring potential and so much fun inherently in them. Where oh, geez, this so it's like handing you a challenge. Like, can you achieve this? Can you get over onto this side of the board and, and take that objective away from them? Um, I think that's really, really good for the game in terms of just people having fun and choosing to do things because that's the that's the more fun way to do it. And at the end of the day, there, it doesn't really feel like I'm at any kind of disadvantage if I choose to go down that path to do that versus taking fixed fixed uh, missions. No, you're you're absolutely right because that I think that was one of the things that hurt the worst and. The, towards the end of ninth is the imbalance in faction secondaries because that's absolutely what what put some factions over the top. It wasn't it wasn't even a power creep thing or you no, know, it was just straight up secondaries, you know. Well, on that point, do you think they're gonna with these codexes that come out? Do you think they're going to do something where you can uh, you get a pool of secondaries that you can sub in uh, I, for different cards? I hope not. I hope not, because to me, because to me, that's the the minute they start doing that, the minute that that's just a whole nother variable that they can't balance. And that that's that's honestly like if you look at, you know, the last few uh, chapter approves and ninth that every time a chapter approved came out, it went straight to who's got the best. uh, Yeah, um, best secondaries. I mean, like, look at look at world leaders. Uh, Oh, yeah. We did some practice games going into one of the TCC events. So I, I picked up my war leaders and, you know, went over to my buddy's house and actually I played uh, Mike DeHoyce and uh, he absolutely wiped me off the map, you know, in three turns. And I won that game because my secondary is maxed out. <laughs> it's so, I yeah. And so, I mean, like, I don't, I don't like that. Or there was a period where sisters didn't even have to leave their deployment zone. and could, could almost max out the entire game. You know, they'd send out one unit, you know, that's back when, what was it? A stranglehold. Yeah. You know, they'd send one unit out to the center, and then everything else would stay there, and then they'd score forty-five points on secondaries, get 40, 40 points on primaries, and you know they'd win ninety-five to ninety. You know, same thing with guard at the end of the edition. It was like boots on the ground, a flexible command. You know, and that yep. and that just takes away takes away the fun of the game, and that's why I was really disappointed to see how they ruled the uh, spore mines. Uh, and I actually as actions at LSO. Yeah, and and because or oh, Texas Open too, right? Yeah, I think they yeah, can do that there. I think so, and I think it's in the rules commentary, and that's why they're allowed to do it. So I, GW is ruled on it, but like I played against a, a, a Brad Townsend, and he was running Tyranids, and that's that's exactly what he was doing. Is he had three biovores, and each one of those biovores every turn would shoot spores into my deployment zone. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to screen out spores, and they would investigate signals. So as long as he could he could send two spores <laughs> over there. As long as he could send two spores to my deployment zone, um, he uh, would score eight points primary turn, five turns. That's forty points. So that's awesome. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, it's very clever and it's it's awesome. But at, at the same point, wouldn't it be different though if it, it so that it, in ninth edition it was you picked your secondaries, right? You had a, mm-hmm. you had a set of them, and that was it for the rest of the game. Does it become a lot? more palatable if they are you get like 
let's say you have five cards. You have five special tactical secondaries for each faction. And you can sub one of those faction secondaries into your deck, essentially. Um, for like some other, like you trade it out for another card, essentially. So the card says, uh, okay, I am a, like a Thousand Suns one might be like killing unit with psychic mortal wounds um, for, for like four or five points or something, something like that. I'm just throwing a hypothetical out there. Yeah. But this one swaps out for like, you can put this in this deck, but replace X secondary card from the, from the mission pack um, out of there. Uh, or maybe it's just, hey, you willy-nilly can just take out other secondary cards and replace them with those secondary, those um, uh, faction-based secondaries. Um, I'm wondering if that maybe is a little bit more palatable versus, hey, look, this is just dumb scoring for secondaries for the whole game. Yeah, as long as, as long as, I guess if you did it that way and they were limited to tactical only and not fixed then yeah that would that would add a little flavor to your deck but then at the same time like i just my 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 biggest thing that i i would love you know in a perfect world i think any 40k player would love this is to be able to play the army you love and compete with it you know yeah like I mean, if, if do do well if you play the army well right that's that's exactly right and it, nothing feels worse than cuz i think all you know if if you're a talented 40k player and you played long enough, you've you've went to a tournament, you you've invested a lot of money to show up, and then you you want you you get to a table and you're playing against a meta army, you watch sloppy pay across the table from you, and it hurts. It hurts to know you're going to lose that game, even though you're watching some pretty sloppy play, you know. And that that's that's what I don't want to get back to. Yeah. And so far, I'm I'm seeing that like immediately you know within a week or two they came in and they fixed Eldar. they've adjusted gene stealer cult already and i yep. think if you start adjusting those top factions where you bring them in line at the same time you're going to bring the bottom factions up you know and i, yep. and I so i think that's one thing i think it was Nachman or nephilim either yeah. one what they did is they nerfed the top armies and buffed the bottom armies and it completed it caused a complete inversion right that's why i think as they do these balances they need to do small adjustments and I think as soon as you start adding more cards in there, I think it makes yeah. it, it makes it harder to balance, and it also makes it logistically harder to you know do stream games like that. You know, I don't know if yep. like uh, Joe's, uh, I, I like that on War Games Live. You just hit over there and hit draw the card on the screen. That was pretty neat. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I know. I, I I will say one of the things that helped me a lot was using Goonhammer's um, uh, tabletop battles app. Um, so if you haven't used that before. Uh, you can put it on like your your tablet or your phone or something like that. And uh, at, at tournaments that I play in, or even my my pickup games or my practice games, I, I use that all the time. And it's fantastic because it it lets you track your scores, lets you track your stats, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it also make I mean I don't have to write it down, and I can go back and look at like how the game went and what how things were scored. Um, but they do have those nice things like you like you just mentioned where you can randomize missions and just say, hey, pick two for me and I don't have to worry about my cards or anything like that. Yeah. And that that I love that uh Goonhammer app. That I mean yeah. I absolutely like if you're not if you're not already using that app, I highly suggest to, to use that app because I mean I think there's a lot of times people will feel like, hey, I've lost this game. Um, but and they don't mm -hmm. realize how close the score is. So um having that app tabulate net for you. Uh, it lets really... you see what you've got to do. Yeah. I mean, you can look at the score if it's like round four and you're looking at it and you're, you're down by five. Well, 
guess we got to get more aggressive. You know, I got to I got to go out and do some stuff to to try and turn the game around. Well, like and and for example, I was still using the paper cards to draw, um, mm-hmm. but I was using the I was using the app to score. So right. you manually put the uh, the secondaries in there, yeah. and that also you don't even have to count the cards anymore because the app will will show you, hey, this is what's still out there. When you go to select right. it, it'll right. only let you select ones that are still available. So, yep. Um, I mean, the app is the app is clutch. I, I highly suggest everyone using it, and especially yeah. like if you're, you know, I think I've seen a lot of the games where it's like, hey, uh, are you going to score this game? I, I actually think both players should should score the game that way, just for their own person personal like, hey, I. I know what I need to do to win this game. Like what? I totally agree with it because sometimes things get missed, even if you you have the best intentions. Th- things get missed. Oh, but yeah. uh, that's that's definitely the exact same way that I play it as well. Um, I like having the cards. I like having to have something on the table that I can look at. Say, okay, this is what I have to do, and after I do some movement, I can refer back to it. Like you know, I have a very ADD brain, so I might like after three minutes forget what it is I needed to go do. So I refer back to the card. Okay, that's my mission. Go do it again. Uh, I, I definitely like that. Um, I also, I just generally tend to offer up to my opponents and just say, "Hey, look, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep track on the app here what we're doing. Um, you're welcome to keep track if you want uh, as well." Uh, but uh, it generally is just kind of like, look, at any point you can come over. I'll show you. Here's where the score sits based on how we're scoring. We talk it through at the top of every turn and. You know, it just makes it a lot easier to to move through the game, see where it is. You can just look right at the points. Um, you can see how far you're behind. Um, it also can be very uh, depressing sometimes when you like against custodies where you just say, OK, well, OK, it's turn two. I'm only down by 10. All right. Turn three. I'm down by 20. All right. This sucks. You yeah. know, like <laughs> you, you kind of see how the game is going and you're like, yeah, no, I'm losing this game. This is uh, I got to do something. Well, speaking of the matter, did you did you try any gambits at LSO? No, 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 no. I tried. I tried one gambit. I tried one gambit at uh, Tacoma, and it was against Custodes. And it was because I had basically gotten to the point where most of my stuff was dead. I had nothing left. I was spread out between two sides of the board, and I drew the. I think it was the one where you had to be in corners, and then you had to roll a twelve in each corner. Uh, and I went for it and I think I rolled an 11 on one of the rolls and my opponent and I just kind of looked at each other like, oh my God, that was so close. That would have been amazing. Uh, and I think that actually would have flipped the game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I tried it once and it was just, it was one of those things where it was just like, look, this is literally my only hope is to do something like that. Um, and I talked to Stu at, uh, Tacoma, um, and I and he was mentioning the stats on the um, on the gambits, and apparently there had been um, there had been folks doing the gambits, and the number of gambits that had been pulled off was something like under five percent or something along that line, um, which was which was actually pretty pretty interesting because it was it was something like um, oh, I'm really digging in my brain here to try to remember what the numbers were, but it was something like by by the end of the first day, there was something like, I don't know, like 25% of the games people had attempted gambits. And then after that, it was like 5% of the 20% had actually won their gambit. Um, but all I could think of in my head was 
how did the people feel on the opposite side where the guy wins the gambit? And it's kind of like, well, you know what? I, I actually don't have a problem with that. Those numbers actually are pretty damn good. Well, I don't think in most cases, even if you do run the gambit and you score the gambit, you're probably still going to lose the game. Because if if well, if you're in a situation where the gambit, I mean, like unless you it's based on primary. Out, yeah, it's based yeah, on it's primary. based on primary, right? So let's say you're doing really good on secondaries, like you've scored. Primary, like if you look at primary, you go, oh well, look, custodies they march across the board, they take primary. You don't have much you can do against that. You're going to lose primary, but if you still have a way to like chip away at secondaries through the game, you have a chance by turn three to say, oh, okay, you know what? Looking at where I stand, I've scored some primary, and if I get the gambit, I can max my primary. So all you do is ignore primaries at that point and just say, okay, well, there's my there's my gambit. Can I somehow draw some, maybe some secondaries that help me out that line up with this? Can I teleport my Terminators? Can I, you know, get to different parts of the board with Temporal Surge? And maybe, just maybe, I get to a point where I have a very small percent chance of like sneaking one out here. But again, it's kind of it's kind of like by turn three, you know whether you're in that situation or you're not. Um, and it's based, and I just basically base it off of. Am I way down on primary? Like, have, have I scored like five points on primary the past two turns and my opponent maxed it? At that point, if I have no way to take the board and no way to score uh, primaries, then at that point, yeah, I probably uh, consider a gambit. Yeah, I guess I guess when you put it that way, that's that's not a bad way to think about it. Yeah. So, but. Outside of that, I mean, height. It sounds like you're feeling pretty good about tenth edition. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I like it. I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's just like anything else. As long as you approach it with the right attitude and and try, you know, I mean, ultimately, this is what I. The one thing I like about Warhammer in general is it is a war game, right? And that the only thing that that uh like in you know like a real war is is a. Things change and you gotta adapt with it, you know. And I think that's the one thing. If if this if the if the rules were set and they never changed and everything was perfectly balanced, then we'd be playing chess. And um, that's why I do like this game. You you you've constantly got to adapt with every little change. It, it creates a new a new um, a new challenge out there, you know. Like with Gene Steeler Colt, all of a sudden maybe not becoming as oppressive. Uh, as far as board control, maybe you start seeing more lead armies uh, having the ability to 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 play the mission and score primaries. Maybe maybe that that small nerf to Gene Steeler Colt turns into a buff to for I don't know Death Guard or or normal Space Marines who are all all down there. So I I, I like I like it and I like where it's at and I like that they're they're con consistently or um, at least right now they're they're showing effort to 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 balance the game and not wait, you know, three or four, five months to do it. Yeah, so I, absolutely. I hope, and as long as they continue to do that, I think it's going to, I think it's going to continue to get better and better and better. So I think some well, of the, we're due, we're due for an update in September, right? There's, there's the balance update that's coming then. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah, they, we'll see. I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I, I think, uh, I think the game is in a state where look, you look at the you look at the game. There's always going to be an army out there that has your number. I I think there's never been a time where there's an army that can just say, well, maybe Gene Steeler Cole right now can say, look, nobody has our number. Um, but 
you still have to play the army very well. You still, I mean, other armies can still steal wins from you. Uh, but I do think that given some time, I think things will balance out a bit. I I don't know whether they're going to solve the, the issue we have, what Thousand Sons have with Custodes. I don't know that that's going to be a problem. I think that's going to be our Achilles heel for a while. And the uh, the problem that we have into that will really just depend on how prevalent custodies are in the meta. Uh, like if they if they suddenly just do bad into everything else, we'll probably get like an indirect buff from that because all of a sudden, well, maybe people decide, you know what, I'm not going to take my custodies. I'm going to take my knights or I'm going to take my space marines or something else. And that kind of that that's a very hard thing if you're if you're GW and you're looking at the rules of the game that's a very hard thing to sit there and say well how do i account for that and you really can't um all you can do is just say look you know maybe maybe custode the meta changes a little bit something becomes good and it steers people into taking this other unit or this other army and custodies all of a sudden become maybe not so attractive uh into the meta and i i got to hope at that point that hey you know what that opens up doors for us um yeah i mean that's that's kind of looking at the meta that's kind of my take yeah and i can definitely see some of the top meta armies or that's what's given that's what's keeping custodes down i mean honestly i mean like you start looking at like gene stealer cult they just they're able to yeah. dominate board control and all that stuff or i mean i, I was i was actually kind of i mean hoping to play come on like with the obliterators my whole army comes back for free automatically like I, I, I'm being I'm being very broad with what I'm saying there. I get it, but come on, that's that's really it, it, the fact that stuff just gets to come back and keep coming back and keep coming back. Like it's a little ridiculous. I think that's why there's the art of don't kill them. I know they can bring bring some back, you know, but like if you can if you can get the art of getting them down to three or four models, yeah, they're still gonna have their. Uh, that's just so dumb. Yeah. Like, the game should not be at that point. I mean, that's <laughs> that mechanic needs to be fixed, man. And I'm I'm sure it will. So yeah, I mean, they I, already we'll went see. A long I, way today. I yeah, I agree. I think the uh, I hope I think the holy the holy within is a very good uh, fix for that, um, and it definitely opens up the door for them to have to, you know, th they can't just take the whole board, right? They can't string stuff out. So yeah. at least it fixes that. We'll see what it does. But um, what were your uh, let me ask you what were your MVP units from uh, Lone Star Open? Man, that's a that's a that's a tough call right there. Actually, and I think my least favorite I'll, I'll go with that. My least favorite unit, my least ineffective unit outside of my Tyranid matchup was actually the Forge Fiend. So um, the Terminators were absolutely amazing in everything they did. Uh, the Obliterators just bodied things. Um, the only game that the Land Raider wasn't completely amazing was the was the final against Ben, and that's because you know he had the firepower to reach around the corner and pop it. You know, just to delete it. Yeah, yeah, just to delete it. But outside of that, I mean, like the Forge Fiend was probably my most ineffective unit. So. And you know, and you've heard every CSM player saying that's the thing you start your list with is a Forge Fiend. So that ought to tell you something how I felt. I love the I love the sticky objective cultist. Um and of course Abaddon, as soon as he gets on a Wraith Knight or an Imperial Knight, as soon as he touches oh, it, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I mean I mean that's really scary. Like I looked at I looked at what Abaddon did into the night and I said, Well, 
if that's Abaddon into Magnus, like he's he's fucking toast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's exactly what happened when I uh, well actually that was my plan to take out Magnus is I was going to fall back shooting shards, Magnus, uh-huh. but then then the Obliterators just went ahead and finished him off, so I ended up killing a Vortex Beast with Abaddon instead. So it's funny how those four up saves work, right? You know, yeah. you did you don't make them, and it's kind of like, yeah, well that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think the whole my whole ideal and in, in, into the list that I built for LSO was the two plus save. And that, yeah. and again, you, you go back to it. What, what is the one thing that, you know, besides the cultists, the only thing in my list that didn't have a two plus save, the cultists and the nerdlings, the only thing that didn't have a two plus save was the forge fiend. Yeah. And he, you know, of course I, I can't tell me how many ones I've rolled on that hazard test. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, there was several games. The first time I shot him, I did six wounds to myself. And you know what you know what amazes me is when I was looking at the points, I, I, I literally have to double check that even before I say this. But when I was looking at the points, the Thousand Sons Helbert is 145 points. 145 points for a Helbert. The Thousand Sons Forge Bean is 135 points. So I'm a little confused about the point aspect there that's being thrown around on the hell group. I imagine it's probably something similar on the cast space Marine side. Yeah. So the, like the forge fiend is like 165 points, I believe. Okay. Um, but that again, there you go. You, you, you put a chaos undivided mark on it, reroll hits and wounds. And also that thing is. Yeah. I mean, I will gladly pay the extra points for that. Yeah. Like I, I would pay for 165 points on a forge fiend and thousand suns that kind of reroll hits and wounds with. And the CSM Helbert, which I'm, you know, I, I, I think it's cool, but I, I think it's the CSM Helbert costs a little bit more because it gives you it gives you both sides of the dark packs. In other words, you get the sustained and the lethal hits at the same time if you're within six inches of it. But it yeah. costs too many points. And my, my my thought process on it is is like if you're fishing for extra shots, well, for yeah. 160 points, you can just take two more obliterators and you don't have to put them within six inches of a of a Helbert. So it's ultimately why. And you get that you get that once per game indirect, which is just amazing. You know, like look at the custodies matchup. You just get a free round of shooting. It doesn't matter whether you're playing heavy terrain or not heavy terrain. You get a round of shooting to to absolutely try and take some of those things out. Well, exactly. I mean, you take my guard matchup. I played my very first mission was against Nathaniel Bjorgi, and he's uh he's won a couple GTs in the last six months. Um, uh, with his guard, but his whole most of his list was indirect. And I out indirected him. So, I mean, because those obliterators are just so amazing. Every time I got within 24 inches of something and that first round of shooting out of line of sight, it was just like, pick it up, pick yeah. it up, pick it up. You know, so by, I think by the end of round three or four, all he had left was like his three mana core sitting in the backfield. You and know, it's interesting. Had, you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm because, sorry. because I had the two plus saves and you add the cover, all of a sudden it's like, you know, those mana cores would shoot and wound one Terminator. Yep. And that, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, you know, it was interesting because I had a different, I had a different approach to that. Um, and I was just thinking about what worked coming out of Tacoma. The, I, so I played into guard twice. One, one list with guard had some indirect. The second list with guard had, um, I think it was a shadow sword and a bunch of Lehman Russes. 
both games were pretty handily decided. And the list that I built was intended to play into guard with lots of indirect. I assumed that that was going to be a thing that would be a big theme, like a like a secondary theme in there, and that there would be a lot of guard lists that were trying to run tons of indirect. They didn't care about obscuring. They would just like put as much shit into you as they can. In addition to that, it plays well into knights because knights tend to like shoot you from long range and do lots of damage. Where if you can't shoot me, great. So I took three units of Rubric Marines with a regular Sorcerer. And what that did was make it so that they couldn't shoot me outside of 18 inches. On top of that, I took a, a Changeling and the Changeling is a lone operative. And that works very similarly where you have a 12 inch bubble where they can't target it. I'll come back to the Changeling. He's awesome. the, it, in, in both matchups into guard, it worked so, so well uh where they couldn't target those units and i could just sit out in the open and on top of that i could hide the mutilith right next to them and they can they can throw doom bolts out at 36 inches and it didn't matter i, I mean i could just toss doom bolts out and i think i was averaging you know d3 plus three is usually what i would get and i would probably average like five mortal wounds or something like that off my off my doom bolts um it was enough to do, like when you add them up, if you're two and doing two Doom Bolts a turn, that was about five or, you know, 10 mortal wounds or so is what I could take away. It was enough that my opponents could not just go and like sit out in the open. Um, and his Shadow Sword in, in my second guard match, his Shadow Sword, Shadow, sorry, Shadow Sword made the match actually very easy um, because it was just Twist of Fate shoot it it's dead that was it um the 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 fun thing i mean that that round went so good in my favor against him uh i i was able to to with the doom bolts and the shooting from the terminators the shadow sword was dead like instantly that Magnus didn't even have anything to shoot at. So I literally had to use the um, use the power to let Magnus do indirect attacks to a Lehman Russ that was back behind a uh, back behind a piece of terrain. And Magnus basically just popped the the Lehman Russ just off of devastating wounds and everything. So if you get hot with those, it can be really, really good. Yeah. So all that to say, the design of the, the concept of the list that I felt worked really good was the fact that if you go in on three rubric squads that can't be targeted, and then you have the changeling. So let's come back to the changeling. You've got I've got three units that can just sit in the backfield. I can target you with Doom Bolts. I can target your lone operatives with Doom Bolts on top of that. Uh, but I can sit in the backfield. I can hold my objectives. I can go off to the edges and hold objectives. I can go do missions or whatever in the backfield or corners or whatever, engage, you know, whatever, whatever comes up in my tactical secondaries. But you can't shoot me outside of 18. And that actually becomes a very, very hard thing for from what I found for opponents to play into. And then the changeling on top of that, 
Here's what's really fun about the Changeling. The Changeling has a 12-inch loan operative bubble, just like anything else. So you run him up into the middle. He just hangs out there. At some point, you have to deal with him. I had multiple matches at Tacoma where my opponents would try to come in and deal with the Changeling. And the fact that you have to pass a battle shock just to be able to target him was enough that... I'll give you an example of how one one game played out. My opponent brought two armagers up into the center. Oh, no, and their leadership seven. And he targeted the change because he drew assassinate in his tactical secondaries. So he targets the changeling. And it's just sitting there like a prize, like, come get me. And both armagers roll up. And, yeah, it's leadership seven on those armagers. And he comes in and he targets them. First one battle shots. All right. Well, you got to pick other targets. Well, there's nothing else sitting there in the center that you really can shoot. So, okay, they're done. Uh, so, so then the second one goes, Hey, guess what? The second one battle shocks. Uh, and then you move on from there. So it's okay. Well, I'm going to try to charge. Well, now at this point, it doesn't matter because I have that, I have that objective in the center. If he charges me and he gets in, he still has to go and pass another battle shock in order to be able to even fight the changeling. And he made one of the charges. And on top of that, the the, the charge that was made, he has a four up invuln on top of it. So it's not a lot of attacks coming out of those guys. And it's just so funny how the armagers are always the units that just tend to get shoved forward where the changeling can just go and sit on an objective. It doesn't matter. You're battle shocked. So now we go into the next turn, we hit primary and all of a sudden that center objective counts as a primary for me. Um, and I've had matches, even in Dane, for example, uh, we were, we were mentioned in Dane earlier on the podcast, you played with him. Uh, he's one of our teammates. Uh, I've had matches with Dane where the changeling will sit there uh, and he'll just like, if you get within 12 and you're not even paying attention, well, on a, on a D six, I get to just turn off your shooting uh, or you're minus one to hit. And it's just, it automatically just lets you control the center of the battlefield with the changeling. So let's assume he dies. The way I play the changeling in the list is I just assume that the changeling is like a cultist unit and I run them forward into the middle and he just hangs out there. And look, if he dies, he dies. I don't care. His goal is to just go sit there in the center. If he scores primary on that center objective, uh, if it's there, or if he if he happens to score deployed teleport homers or uh, area denial or whatever, if that comes up and he happens to go there, great. Like he's just he's just a throwaway unit that goes in there. But the fact that there's so much interaction with him, you can battle shock. I can turn your shooting off. Um, he's actually got a four up invuln, which is enough that I can spike and and possibly, you know, he's alive and he still holds the objective when you took assassinate and thought you could kill him. Uh, it's enough that for 75 points, he's literally 10 points more than a cultist unit. He fills that second cultist unit in the list. Uh, hands down was the MVP in all of my games. Uh, it's just hilarious how good that you uh, how good the changeling is at just like psychologically against your opponent messing with them and having them have to play with it like if you draw assassinate and that's like what four or five points or so for the changeling something like that mm -hmm. and he's just sitting in the middle like 
you can't you can't deny you're tempted to go and attack them and and go after it. And it's just the fact that now you it's it doesn't even matter whether you have a plan or not. It's the fact that there's a little bit of doubt that's going to creep in, and you're going to look at that and you're going to go, you know what? There's a chance I battle shock. There's a chance I don't shoot anything, and and then those things just moved to the middle and they did nothing. Well, and I just negated a whole tur- a whole turn of shooting or a whole turn of attacking for me. Well, and that's exactly when I played the Thousand Suns player in round four, and I drew assassinate. I was like, okay, I'm going to bring my terminators in. I should be able to kill him if I don't fail my battle shock, and he doesn't roll a six, right? So, but that also made me line up my forge fiend to take down another unit and get assassinated. So exactly, it made, it, it made me set up my whole turn different even though I ended up killing both of them. Um, yeah, now just, name another unit, name another unit for 65 or 75 points that you can put on the table that makes your opponent have to do that much game planning around. You You just mentioned a Forge Fiend and a Terminator unit, which are like backbone units to your army. Mm-hmm. You're planning your whole turn around that over yeah. my 75 point unit. So from the perspective of like chess, that's like I'm completely manipulating what you're doing off of just one guy going to the middle and just hanging out there. And look, if he dies, he dies. I don't care. Like he's he like just, a, yeah. He's like he's like a knight in chess. It's the, it, the other. Yeah. There's one there's another unit that I feel like is annoying. He can't do and that's, that's it's like a lictor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just putting a lictor in the center board on the other side of a piece of terrain. That basically says, oh, you got area denial, so now you have to come on the other side of this wall and expose yourself to kill him. Yep. So. And I will say, so looking back on the on the event and looking at my list, I, I definitely think that the what I've had a hardest part, I've been or a hardest problem trying to answer is thinking about my list and whether I want to change it or not. I've considered looking at Kairos. Uh, I've considered looking at like Magnus Kairos. And it's funny because that tends to be the MO of the list that I I tend to run. Uh, I tend to go into like Monster Mash. Like I just gravitate towards that all the time. But one of the things that kind of keeps me from changing my list too much, ironically, are the cultists. The cultists have been, in Thousand Suns, have been a unit that I cannot, I have to find a way to put them in. Here's why. They have that scout move for six inches before the game even starts. Mm-hmm. What's so critical about that is in at least two out of my six games, I drew area denial or deploy teleport homers first turn, something like that. I got to get in the middle. I have to go get in the middle. There's no other unit. I, I don't want to be spending my temporal sur- or my cabal points, temporal surge units, if I don't have to. Uh, I want to be dumping them into Doom Bolts or uh, Twist Fate, you know, to, to get shit done. And if the t- turn one, I happen to draw that secondary, the, the cultists have the ability to get to the middle and score that secondary for me turn one. If they score that, they've earned their points and that's it. Like if they die, they die. I, I don't care. Going back to my second game with Peter in the in the uh, game against Imperial Fist, he had a big Terminator blob. What was so great about that game that made that so tense 
was the way the, the, the map was set up. In the middle, there was a bunch of ruins surrounding the middle, but the middle was open. My cultists were able to go and basically get roughly one inch away from the wall. So his terminators were, imagine you have a bubble of about six inches in the center of the map and you have ruins surrounding it. And his terminators are sitting inside behind a wall. I don't have line of sight to them. Uh, they're all, they, they got all their buffs and everything else that, that are associated with them. They're sitting behind the wall and my, I had like five, he had shot the cultists a bit. A few had died. Uh, so I had like four or five cultists that were left. The cultists were able to go and sit roughly one inch away from the ruin walls that his terminators were sitting in. So what he had to essentially do was expose himself to come out to kill those cultists. He could not score area denial. He could not score those other things. He he had no way to kill those five stupid, you know, five point models or six point models, whatever they are. He had no way to kill them because they were standing right there. And it was meant as a bait piece to, because the rest of my army was all set up so that if he exposed those Terminators, the game was over. They were dead instantly. Like everything was lined up to just kill him. He knew it. We, we talked about it at the end of the game. He knew it. Um, but what happened was those cultists for literally, I think it was like turn four, they were still alive or turn three, they were still alive. And they were just blocking the Terminators from being able to walk out and just take over that center, the, the center of the board. Um, that was not possible unless I was able to scout in there. Um, I, you know, I made some six up in to keep, to keep them alive. Sometimes you spike and they, and they tend to stay alive and it's amazing. Uh, but I hands down the changeling and the scouts are two units that every list that I've looked at, I have to have them in there because they are units that just can go and absolutely change the perspective of the game. The, the cultists have the ability to just get to the center of the board without any other help, without any other support. And you can just sit back and just know, look, if they die, I get a command point. If they happen to score something, great. It's bonus points. If they, if they, you know, kill something even better, I get another command point, you know, something like that. Uh, those are, it, it's just funny how I've been looking at it and how useful they are. Um, and I look at the, the rest of the list I look at things like Zang or options that I could bring in like Zangors, you know, I just don't feel like I would get the same output from them. So. Yeah. I could definitely see that. So, yeah, I, that's one thing, uh, you know, I wish our cultists had, you know, on that, on the CSM side. So, but I, I don't mind the sticky objectives because it, it is nice to have yeah. an objective sitting there that you can't take. So. You get those nice toys. You also have that uh that is it a stratagem that lets you uh mark something and say it can't be show up, can't be targeted or uh Yeah, that's the marker Nurgle. So oh you, yeah. there, there's my MVP. Everything with yeah. the marker Nurgle, which is pretty much I thought so. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but anywho. Well, I mean, so we've got Texas Open coming up next. That's coming up in August. Um I haven't happened to look at the, the tournament schedule to see if there's uh, other big tournaments coming up between now and then, but I imagine there's going to be some that, that pop up over the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't expect that the update we got today is going to make any significant changes to what we see. 
do you, do you feel like do you feel like basically when we go to Texas Open, I, I feel like the 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 armies to be are basically going to be custodies, GSC, um, like nothing's going to change. I feel like that's still going to be the state. Um, I think Gene Steeler Colts a lot more beatable now. You do? So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that there isn't a workaround with how, how they can end up bringing him back in their turn instead or or whatever. I I'm not saying that they're completely fixed. I just I think they they will feel less bad. But they're okay. I think a smart player will be able to play into them a lot easier. It's going to be harder for them to just continue to work on the war of attrition because they they you know. Um, the mining lasers is the the hard part. Like, you know, even if they only get four in line of sight of you, there's going to be the four mining lasers or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just feel like it's going to be a little bit better and they're not going to be able to like zoom out and grab objectives at the start or, you know, um, and it, I feel like it's going to be a little bit better. It'll be easier to play into, I think. Are they worth building to, to tech into built, uh, to be built? Uh, sorry. Stumbling think, over my words really bad there. Uh, are they are they worth teching to build into to beat? I, I think I think Thousand Suns already has the the tools to at least kill them and continue to kill them. Just because, especially if you're running the Terminators, you know, if you as long as you can keep your Terminators alive, I think it's I think it's easy to just to kill the units. I think mm-hmm. the I think the key factor is the aberrants, right? Do they make that? Do they make that uh, four up? to bring the aberrants back because the aberrants absolutely crush. So like, for, for example, if you're playing thousand stuns, the aberrants have the ability to kill a Magnus or kill a bunch of terminators in melee. They're really good. Um, if they make that four up, in my opinion, that, that, that really hurts you. Now I've seen a lot of gene stealer cult people talking about, you know, I don't even know if I want to take aberrants anymore because I never make the four up because that's, it's a very expensive unit as it should be. I mean, it, it's basically an old thunder hammer, you know, it's, 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 high strength high ap three damage and scary you know, it is super scary especially if you're running a bunch of scarab scarab cult you know like you you can you can get the aberrants down um because they have a they have a stratagem for their infantry just like mark and Urgle or uh you know having a sorcerer in the unit i think i believe there's a 12 inches so by the time you finally get the aberrants on you or close enough to shoot them in you they've got a field no pain built in and it, i think it's a four up so like the or kill. So, like, if that thing comes back, you're in trouble. But, like I said, I think there's a lot of Gene Stiller Colt players that are all had the same shared experience that they can't roll a four up to bring those guys back to save their life. <laughs> but I mean, no, they're beatable, and I think I think the standard Thousand Suns list can beat them, especially now because they're not going to be able to spread out as much. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think we need some help. I I think. And I don't mean that from a rule standpoint. I mean more, we need some luck. Uh, we need some rules to go our way. We need some missions. So uh, drawing some missions to go our way. Yeah, that's why I yeah. think that the aberrant's not coming back is the, the thing that needs to go your way. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. What well, they they I mean, come back on a four-up, right? Yeah, they come back on a four-up. Now, the... Yeah. Uh, the uh, it's funny the, how those four-ups work, right? Like... You'll have people, you'll play with Magnus, and you'll make your four ups, and people will say, oh, that four up's too good. And then on the flip side, you know, you'll you'll easily just bring up, well, I remember all the times that I didn't make those four ups, and you just instantly died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Agreed.
street. So, you know, the um, only other thing I was worth, I was worth uh, bringing up as a topic here. I was thinking about loan operatives. They seem to be something that I think a lot of people are at least considering as like the loan operative rule is something to build into. Um, not to say, hey, look, my whole army is a loan operatives, but more that I can play around having loan operatives that can't be targeted outside of 12. The interesting thing that occurred to me was the fact that flyers, like our aircraft, are very, very good at going and dealing with loan operatives. And if people are continuing to invest in loan operatives in their in their army, are we going to see aircraft start to just suddenly reappear? Hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not impressed by the Hellbrew, or, or sorry, the Helldrake. Yeah. I'm not impressed by it. I'm not impressed by it either. And that's what, but I mean, as far as my end, I think I would rather, I think I'd rather drop five Terminators in somewhere and, and grease them with combi weapons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think that makes sense. You know, because I mean, regardless, flyers are going to have the same problem with something like a changeling. I mean, if you fail your, you fail your say or your leadership thing, it's, you're not shooting it anyway. So, but I, I, I don't know. I think, the, the restrictions on flyers are pretty pretty heavy and and like in for chaos on our end hell drakes are about our only option especially yeah. since the other stuff went to legends that we had access to i mean we we basically pay the price for the same problem that eldar or for the problem that eldar created really with mm -hmm. all their flyers uh, yeah so we get penalized from it but you know what look at the end of the day if it's better for the game and we don't see Eldar flyers on the board, you know, Codex, Codex uh, Elf Plane on the board. You know, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, no, I mean, you don't remember not being able to hit planes. That, that, that was no. No, I remember very vividly, and I've been trying to forget that. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, uh, what do we? I mean, what do we have coming up here? So we've got Texas open. Um, we've got course. August is pretty much open, right? Uh, so as far as uh, Texas goes, the ones that I was looking at for my, myself personally was the dragons. There's going to be a dragon's layer open sometime in the fall. I think it's, it's, it's posted up. Um, and we also have obviously Texas open um, in August. There will be the San Antonio shootout on veterans day weekend. Warzone Houston is also, I think in September uh, third week in September, I want to believe. And then, then we have Rise of Empire. So Texas has yeah. one, two, three, four, five more majors before the end of the year. And then I, I was also considering SoCal. So, wow. But when is SoCal? Uh, I want to. I think it's around. It's in November, the fall too. October, I think it, it, it might actually. Yeah, I think it. Actually, I had it pulled up earlier because I actually think it conflicts with one of the Texas events. So that was, uh, I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because uh, SoCal was actually the best I've ever done at an event. Yeah, I remember that you went like you got first or second, something like, or second or third or something. No, I wasn't not that good. I, I think it was like top 20 or something, but uh, it was back in the uh, back yeah, in the Marine meta. SoCal is October 21st, 20th. Uh, yeah, so that I believe that's this. I, I do yeah. believe that's 
the same weekend as that. I have a half brother that lives out in San Diego, so I've been wanting to <sighs> go out and visit him. So that's a perfect weekend to go visit him. <laughs> yeah, that that weekend is uh, also Formula One in Austin, so that kind of screws up my ability to get out there for it. So, yep. So I mean, well, Texas got a bunch of events, but yeah. I don't know. There's a there's a there's a pretty pretty large selection of going to GTs and majors and trying things out. So I think we're going to get a lot of data over the next month or two from yeah. around the country and and also stuff coming back from WCC as well. So does it? I mean, does anything change between now and September before the balance update? I think so. I mean, I think it is. Obviously, you know, they originally said we they are they're not going to do any FAQs or more balances until the fall, and then today happened. So. I think, I think there's a lot of pressure to have a more balanced game, which is great for everybody, especially with the digital rules and all that. So, yeah, I, th I think we'll see, I think we'll continue to see more. You know, like I, I think if Eldar keeps running tables, they're going to realize it's it's not fate dice or underpriced units that's doing it. It's it's a fire and fade and phantasm. I mean, like yeah, I, yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean. That's the thing, like, you take Ben, you know, in the final turn, he drew area denial. Well, he moved a unit 20 inches over there to get area denial. <laughs> I was like... That's ridiculous. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. I was like, wow. And that yeah. the, that that Phantasm is, or Fire and Fade, whichever one it was, that it got him over there. It's well, it's worth, it, it's worth mentioning that, you know, again, I go back to what Stu was saying. When you look at the... When you look at what's going on, one of the things they do a really good job of mentioning is the fact that there's mobility and durability and lethality in the game. And uh, Eldar basically just kind of don't really give up much in each area. They just kind of do everything all very well. Uh, and that's that's kind of hard to try and uh, try and balance, I guess. Yeah, I do see I do see some, you know, it, if there are going to be some balanced things, I do think see things like uh, Phantasm being once a game yeah or um i do and unfortunately i don't want to think this but i do see like the marker nurgle being changed to yep. being unshootable outside of 18 inches instead of 12 or or once a game yeah you know, i mean ultimately that's that's, that's marker nurgle every turn it was like uh you're not shooting Abaddon, you're not shooting Abaddon. and i'm on you you know so yeah so so yeah, yeah I, I could see I could see things like that. They're they're that's what we're gonna see in the balance update. But I think we're gonna continue to see small changes to, to try to, to to do a course correction. And obviously if they they did something for Gene Stiller Colt already, there's gonna be something coming for Eldor. Like I have I see Phantasm being once a game. So not once a turn. So if you had to read the tea leaves, who's who's at the top of the meta? You know, after all those changes, let's say those changes happen, who's who's top of the meta? After that, um, I, I hopefully there's there is a I I feel like we actually got a pretty decent spread right now because the top of the meta all has has a rock rock paper scissors against them right now. I mean, like it, if you're if you're playing Custos, the last thing you want to do is seeing a heavy shooting knight list. If you're playing knights, I don't think you want to see a list like mine. You know, if you're playing LR, I don't think you want to see a list like mine, unless you're as good as Ben Jerk is, you know. <laughs> um, 
But yeah. I mean, like, I, I do think there's a there's a counter to everything, you know. Um, but after after if to read the tea leaves, I, you know, you were gonna have two codexes out by then, and and I really don't want to say it out loud because I don't want it to to go back to being it being Tyranids again, because I got to mm -hmm. the point where I was like sick to my stomach every time I saw Tyranids, so. Mm -hmm. That's why. I'm no, it feels it definitely I'm feels like with the the codexes about to come out we're possibly like everything's just going to get shaken up. And 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 I do I do believe given Tyranid players a little bit more time even before their codex comes out, I think we're going to start seeing Tyranids start to float to the top because they they got some really cool in a, in a wide array of different units that can do different things. It's I mean, I was very impressed with the shooting that Brad Townsend's Tyranids put out, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I def, but I, I do, I do feel like we're more balanced than the end of ninth edition, believe it or not. Even though we're seeing Eldar at the top of the tables everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I think the game is in a great, great state right now overall. Um, I know it's not perfect. It never is going to be perfect. But it, it's but a lot better than it was three weeks ago, and that's because GW completely jumped, agree. They, they jumped right on the really big things, and then. The one and the, the thing that I like is they're not directly jumping on the things that feel like that's the backbone of an army. I feel like they're more jumping on the things that feel bad that you ne you felt like they never intended. Like they never intended for Gene Stiller Colt to be able to string out a 20 man unit for yeah. one of those ambush tokens, yeah. you know, 25, 30 inches. They never intended that. I mean, look, look, look at the reality of the, the FAQ or the when you look at the change update that just got posted, what today? Mm hmm. When you go through and look at all the changes, most of it is just a, just stuff that's like an oversight. Like, look, okay, we missed putting the firing deck on rhinos when it should have been there. Um, you know, things like that are really easy mistakes that are easily corrected. Just going in and making a quick fix to do it. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're not the kind of things where hey, we're kicking the legs out on your entire army because your your fate dice are too good. Um, I, you know. I look at all the, uh, I don't know. I, I, I look at the armies that are doing really well right now. And I kind of like half with a grain of salt, just kind of say, look, there, there's a bit of feeling out still happening here that I'm not entirely sold that what is the very, very strongest army in the game right now is like, like GSE. I'm not convinced that they are the, the boogeyman for every other army to have to beat. Yeah, I don't think you so. know, and, and that's the thing. I don't think there is any one army that that doesn't have a counter. That and that's that's where I'm getting at. Like, you know, like 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 for Thousand Sons, it's like we have a great win rate unless we play custodes. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, or, yeah. Or or if you're playing if you're playing knights, you know, it's all fun and games until you run into a space marine list with o's of the moment and a whole bunch of vehicles that can that can pop mm -hmm. down two nights in one turn you know where at the same time space marines are sitting in the mid 30s on their win rate so some of the the low win rate armies didn't take out some of the top tier armies yep you know i i would say there's really to me there's only one outlier and that's that's votan and i, I feel bad for votan so
Yeah. I mean, you could, you could maybe throw death guard in there too. I'm, yeah. I'm being pretty sympathetic there. I, I think I mean, <laughs> they have some builds, but that doesn't mean that they're not in need of a lot of help. No, they need some help, but yeah, I, I think they have some builds. And you probably throw world leaders in there too. I, I think yeah. their, their main army rule is just not, not good. I would throw chaos knights in there as well. Um, I'm on a, I'm on a rant now. I'm all, you know, team chaos, but yeah. I, I think Chaos Knights, Death Guard, and World Eaters all need quite a bit of help to lift them up. They they need to be up kind of where Thousand Sons are right now. Um, Chaos Knights, the problem I have with Chaos Knights is their rules are built on Battleshock, and Battleshock is not effective enough in the game as a rule and a mechanic that it is effective. I mean, well, that's, in a lot that's of cases, kind of Battleshock only counts in the command phase, so Battleshock yeah, exactly. is outside it, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Like you have a chance to get out of the battle shock. The fact that I battle shock you with my army rule doesn't make a difference if at the top of your turn you can just ignore it because you happen to roll good or you have a way to just, okay, it's one unit. I spend a CP. I ignore your entire army rule. Yeah, or um, they have over half the wounds so they don't have to roll for it. Yeah, yeah, there, there's that too. Yep, uh, I mean... Yeah, you're right. Chaos Knights. Yeah, the, I mean, there's some armies that obviously need some help, but yep. yep. But you're seeing some, you know. But you take Chaos Knights for example. Um, yeah, their army rules suck, but they have some really good things built in their data sheets that are keeping them afloat. You know. Well, it's like, more from a perspective of suit, right? Because yeah, Chaos Knights are taken in other other lists. Like you can always look at it and say, "Hey, I can just bring in the Melta Baby Knight." And uh, what is it, the brigand? Or oh, dude, the, the brigands are amazing. They're they're so good. Uh, you just like, hey, I've got a few points. Slap a brigand in there, and but they're taking a soup, very similar to demons. Like I don't feel like when I look at demons, slanesh demons seem really good, but the rest of them just like I don't I don't feel like I could just table I could field an army of corn demons and feel like I have a really amazing shot at the game you know no but but i i I think you're 100 correct though there's a lot of there's a lot of things out there that people are still filling out and yeah and you know there's going to be builds that pop up you know like for example no one prior to this weekend and i'm not just talking about myself would expected you know chaos base marines to do as well as they did but but look outside of myself there was there was uh three more and you know that were five and yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they were. All I different I think builds. there's definitely some builds. I mean, you and I have seen some of our uh, some of our teammates and friends when we've been doing playtesting. There's been some really interesting lists that have kind of popped up that are very oddball. And I'm not even talking chaos. I'm talking things like Imperial Guard, uh, demons, uh, Dark Eldar. Yeah, I mean Dark Eldar. Uh, that's a, that's one I'm actually kind of worried about like there are some lists that pop up where they are doing some things that are like we haven't they haven't figured out their best list right they haven't figured out a really good like hey i've got a really good solution here that that can handle a lot of stuff um i played the dark lance spam list with from dane and i think at the end of the day that's that's actually pretty mitigatable with thousand suns because um, you can just just overwhelm them, overwhelm them with shooting, uh, and I think that kind of surprises. 
some Dark Eldar list. I'm more scared of the Talos list more than anything. Yeah, I think Talos scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. They're good. And yeah, they're like good. the Dark Lances are just swinging because they have a they have a small number of shots. They have to hit and wound, and eventually, okay, a wound gets through, but I can negate the damage, right? So so I can just ignore it on a you know. If I have cabal points, I can just automatically annoy it, uh, you know, do it for free. Uh, but I can also spend CP to to ignore one and negate it to zero or negate a failed save to zero. So I have a whole bunch of ways of uh, just kind of minimizing the amount of damage that gets through from those dark lances. Well, yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know what else to say about tenth edition. I'm I'm having a great time. I'm really enjoying the uh, the edition. The missions are fun. The games are great. Uh, generally speaking, I I have not felt better about the game than I have right now. Uh, I'm being able to play my army. I'm having a great time doing it. I'm having very close games. Uh, the the format of the game feels really good. I think you have a much better grasp of being the, the, how do I explain it? Like the ability to size up how to play the primaries uh, and, and weigh that with the secondaries that you draw. I think you've got a much better strategic uh, viewpoint of the game than I do at this point. But uh, I think that that primary, like when I was running my alpha list in Denver or alpha legion list in uh, Denver just a few months ago, uh, I think that is kind of where it started to click a little bit more, how to play the primaries a little bit better. And that definitely has carried over a thousand sons. Uh, and, and I've definitely been able to play the primaries a little bit better in my matchups. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I feel like the game is is very fun. Most of the matchups are very even. Um, I think thousand sons into space Marines is a awesome fun matchup. Uh Outside of that, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I, there's very little, very little wrong in the game from my perspective. It's just little things like you know we know GSE needs some needs some adjusting. Uh, we know Eldar might need some adjusting. Custodies probably need a little bit of adjusting. You know, I'd like a chance to to win that matchup, but uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Tenth Edition. It's been very very good. Yeah, I like it so far. So I like it so far. Hey, I'll tell you what I do know what to say. Magnus did nothing wrong. Yeah, he did. That's right. <laughs> he did nothing wrong. No, he didn't.